Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John Fugelsang. Welcome to it. Bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. Produced by the great Chris Hauseld in the South Carolina studio. Produced by the great Thea Harper in the Brooklyn studio. I am here with Russ in the Hollywood studios. It's very nice to be back. And for the next three hours, we're going to come at you with empathy, with facts, with history, with comedy, with music. And we will bring you to the brink of entertainment. This is normally the part where I launch into a long extended monologue about something and I get your blood boiling about whatever comb over Caligula tried to do. What type of malfeasance and rank fuckery and double talk and jive has been perpetrated on you today? And we'll get to plenty of that, but we have a very special guest, and we're going to begin. We never begin the show with a guest, but when I came out here to do the show for a month in L.A., I was like, I want to get actors to talk about the strike so people can understand. And I thought, well, what actors do I want? I mean, we've had Fran Drescher. I thought there's one guy I want. And it is a great pleasure to welcome back to our show a wonderful, classically trained actor who has appeared in so many great plays, so many great films, so many great TV shows. You love this man's work. Your parents loved his work. Your children love his work. From, my God, from from Jean Jacquinot's Quest for Fire, which is the only movie I talked to this man about, Jean-Pierre Genet's City of Lost Children, my wife's favorite movie, and, uh, of course, uh, Alien Resurrection. Our friend Guillermo del Toro has cast this gentleman in Kronos, Blade 2, Hellboy, Pinocchio, Nightmare Alley, and, of course, Drive as a Jewish gangster. God, I love that movie. Enemy at the Gates, Beauty and the Beast, Sons of Anarchy, director of the terrific underrated hitman drama Asher. It is a great pleasure to welcome back one of our favorite actors and one of our favorite activists, a man who has taken the capital of celebrity and used it to call out the douchebags and fight for those with less power. God damn, it's Ron Perlman. Welcome. Well, well, how do you do? I mean, that's a, actually a fine how do you do. Uh, I'll never live up to any of that, John. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's all Dale Hill. You are, you are, you have very, very, very poor sense of character, but that's okay. That's yeah, so how I got the job. We'll talk anyway. Yeah, thank you, thank you. How's the strike treating you? It turns out I, uh, I was made to do nothing. <laughs> I'm really, really good at it, and um, and now I'm forbidden. So I don't, even, I don't even I don't have to deal with those demons in my head that says you should be doing something right now because, you know, that's the the, the elements have taken the, the the CEOs have taken care of that for me. Yeah. Um. So I'm guiltless and uh, and um, activityless and um, and eventually will be penniless. Yeah, that's the strategy, right? That's the strategy. I mean, literally, wait until people are losing their homes. That's what, and that's then come what, to the table. That's what the motherfuckers done said. And um, 
what is the the you know saying the quiet part out loud? That's what that was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was surprised. Well, let me tell you what's inspired me about this. You can't get any kind of discussion about organized labor on cable news. You won't see it. Once in a while, there'll be a reference. Maybe these Starbucks franchises trying to organize. But generally speaking, you don't get media coverage of unions. And our friends in corporate media who I love, they often have bosses who don't like unions. So you don't hear a lot of labor talk. So what we've had because of the strike is TVs filled with famous faces explaining to Americans once again what collective bargaining is, why it's so important for working people to come together. We are getting civics lessons in organized labor on our TVs from celebrities. And Mm. it's an incredible thing to see Fran, God bless her, leading this and how many young people are learning about how management screws labor because the nanny is on TV talking about it in very impassioned terms. Mm. And a politician or labor activist doing that is never going to get airtime. No, it's, um, I feel as though we're at a very, very important inflection point, and I feel as though there's a kind of a a culmination that is upon us, and if you look at it as anything short of that, then you're really missing the boat. I see, as this thing has played out, and as we've heard these kind of sound bites coming out of the people on the other side of the the non-bargaining table... It's very clear that this is above all things and above even show business or the fact that, you know, it happens to be these two guilds that are out on strike, the Writers Guild and the the Screen Actors Guild, which I'll get back to in a second because, you know, those are not guilds that you would normally think of as representative of labor. Exactly. They're thought of as very elite and I think... That's kind of being addressed a little bit because of the beautiful energy that's taking place on the picket lines by by some of the more familiar-looking faces. But anyway, my point was, if you don't absolutely recognize this as the biggest opportunity of your lifetime, then you are really missing the boat. And if we don't make some hay out of this on a on a the thing that's The whole tale that's wagging the dog, which is that the 1% have the 99% into believing that they're valueless, they're replaceable, they... You're lucky to have it work. They they have never done anything that would command anybody's real true respect. And it's the biggest, you know, what was that expression? You know, the the greatest trick the devil devil Mm -hmm. ever... Mm -hmm ever played was to make you believe that he didn't exist. Yeah. It's it's the same kind of it this is this is gaslighting of the highest order. And it not only leads to work stoppages, but it it puts in stark contrast the very thing that's fucking up the whole fucking thing. The whole fucking thing. The reason why we get Trump is because of this gaslighting. Yeah. That the people who have grievances are willing to take all of their rage and their anger and their frustration and put it to whoever the shiniest fucking object on the stage is, which is Trump. You know, I mean, you know, you call him the Caligula Comover. 
I like that. I got a lot I mean, of names. I, may, I got a I lot may, of names for that. Guy. I may, I may, I may use that when I'm not around you, John. You're welcome to I'm do just it. Just warning you. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's I can't ask for royalties right now because there is a strike. Yeah, you're not allowed to even talk in those terms. But um, I never said it. Anyway, I think you hit on it with gaslighting. I think that in many ways the strike is a symptom of a much larger tidal wave of bullshit of the ugly part, the ugliest part of capitalism, which uses this manufactured hatred to divide us. They used racism to break up unions. And right now they're using our political divisions to divide us even more over stupid shit. We most, most Americans aren't at odds. Most of us believe climate science. Most of us believe women have a right to control their bodies. Most of us believe in paid family leave, but there's a lot of money to be made in us fucking hating each other. And that keeps getting worse and worse. And to me, a symptom of the ignorance is that, you know, as you said, most people think, oh, you actors are privileged. You're your celebrities. They don't know that the majority of people in our union live below the poverty line because acting is wonderful. Being an actor is really hard. So I view this strike and this, the beautiful sentiment that's surrounding it to really be pushing back against decades of this, as you said, gaslighting by the powers that be who want us to believe that, God, they wish they could help us. They so wish they could help us, but you know what? They they can't they can't sign up for a smaller yacht next year, and it's all about why you've got to do more with less, despite the fact that they keep getting richer and richer. God bless Bob Iger. Not singling him out. He makes seventy eight thousand dollars a day. You ever heard of Bob Iger? Heard of this guy? <laughs> seventy eight grand a day. How do you spell it? I G E R, I believe. Oh, yeah. He seems like a nice I guy. I was I was misspelling it when I was looking up his name. I was I was spelling it C O C K S. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> Iger, I-G. Anyway, I'll look him up. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll Google You might him. have some thoughts on him. I'll go to Wikipedia. But your point was, John... It's the gaslighting, what you said. It's that It's that. this is what capitalism, when it's unhealthy, does. <laughs> sorry to, I'm sorry to put you on the spot, but, you know, uh, I'm making starting to make it sound like it's my show and I'm interviewing you. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's gaslighting right there. Pe- ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't know, when you, when you park your car and you walked in the building... By the way, every time I come to see you, I have the same question. Why so serious? Me? No, it's oh, the just company. every time I see, I, I yeah. come into one of your buildings, it's like serious. I'm the least serious motherfucker you've ever met. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm doing here. Yeah, I'm more the XM type. But anyway, where were we? We were talking about, um, we were talking about something well, this... that ripples way beyond. This, this particular strike is nothing more, and you use the word, uh, brilliantly, which is is nothing more than symptomatic of something that has killed all of the most beautiful things in the human existence, because the disparity between those of us who have a us believing that we can't do anything without them, yeah, is something that is very indicative of the tension between management and labor always has been. The minute workers started to ask to unionize, to organize, they've been trying to kill us. They've been trying to break us because the kind of people that we're up against, and they're only 1% of them, Mm -hmm. no matter how much shit they get, it's never going to be enough because the holes in their soul are so fucking vast, so fucking deep, they think they can fill it 
with yachts, yeah. caviar, and reservations to the greatest restaurants, and 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 weekends on the Côte d'Azur. They can never kill it. They're fucking empty people, and the, and 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 they're a class. Yes, they they're are. a class of people who worship power and wealth, and the power part of it only comes in so that they could get more wealth. Yeah. Thinking that if they have those two things, they'll be able to go to sleep at night and not have so much fucking penis envy of the people who actually put them there. Yeah, by the creative so, people who put them there. Yeah, but not just creative. You know, like, you know, people drive those trucks around. Yeah. Let's say Amazon, delivering stuff. What happens if they stop for a, a, exactly. a day or two or, or a week? How long do you think those fucking stockholders would hang around and say, hey, Jeff, Jeff, what are you doing over here? Fuck, Jeff, <laughs> you keep this shit up, you know? How long? How long do you think? I mean, Lincoln said, labor is the superior of capital. And I, what, what makes me crazy is why aren't more politicians jumping on that? Like, Republicans are going to sell this bullshit populism. that We're the party of the working people, but, you know, cut the capital gains tax, right? I want to see more Democrats weighing in on this. And I don't understand why if Republicans really want to get elected from these hardworking white folks, why they don't embrace organized labor, why they don't actually take on the elites instead of, you know, when you hear elites from a Republican, it means an educated person, someone who spells your correctly. But they're worshiping a millionaire at birth with U-R-E, a gold toilet. U-R-E, right? Yeah, yeah, U-R-E, like the, you are. The teenager told me that. They worship this millionaire at birth with a gold toilet who cut his own taxes. And they believe that that's somehow populism. This, with what the actors are doing, with what people in Starbucks are doing, trying to unionize, smart politicians would jump all over this. Because I don't think the next generation of young Americans is going to be a big fan of wage slavery. Well, you just hit the nail right on the head there. We're talking about maybe the most unfocused generation of my lifetime. We're talking about, I, I, I have no feel for anybody who's between the ages of 16 and 35, what they would fucking die for, except uh, uh, social media. I have no feel for what makes them, what would, what would engage them into coming into the fight on some level, because they've been fed so much fucking bullshit that they just basically say, I'm not joining that club. Yeah. I don't want no part of that country. Can you imagine if something happened that would engage Everybody from 17 to 35, like what happened when you and me were growing up? Well, I'm a little older than you. But I had John Kennedy yeah. and the Moonshot and Bob Dylan and the Beatles. And, and I had, you know, we had, we, we were energized. Yeah. We, 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 we had marching orders. Yeah. We knew what we were going toward. We never got there because we were just too fucked up on, you know, marijuana and, and other no, psychedelics. No, no, but that's not true. You did get there. I mean, I always I always say to, to, to Crosby, Stills, and Nash, you know, they, they, they helped stop the Vietnam War. I mean, Nixon was driven from office. Results were gotten by yeah. that generation. My generation- Well, he helped a little. Nixon helped a little. He did, but he was less corrupt than this guy. And my generation, everything that was should have united us divided us. The AIDS crisis divided us. Eventually, it led to you know marriage equality, but at the time, it was horrible. The 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 nine eleven divided us. We invaded the wrong fucking country. We were united for about twenty four hours, and then suddenly, greedy motherfuckers tried to take advantage of it. Mm. You know the pandemic. This should have been all of us coming together and looking out for each other, but it turns out. 
we got a good slice of our population that thinks looking out for other Americans is weakness. Well, we've been told that. Yeah. We've been told that everything that we go to, 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 to learn on Sundays in our churches and our synagogues and everything like that is basically valueless. We've been, we've been told that kindness and generosity and self-sacrifice and... What are you, woke? And... Yeah, that I am word, actually. That word exists. I mean, I'm, I'm woke because I think that's the opposite of asleep. Thank you. They, that, uh, I, I don't know who came up with the con- fucking word woke. I mean, I know, I know, I know, I know where what the word came mean. from. Yeah, it's like when a when a black boy was dri- driving around in the South, his parents would say, "You stay woke now." Yeah, because you fall asleep behind the wheel, you know. And- but they do it every generation, right? Like bleeding heart. That that's Jesus, but it was used to mock kindness, political correctness. Okay, just use words where you're not being a dick. Social justice. You know, every term about empathy and kindness and doing what the world's great religions call us to do, the powers that be will always find a way to smear it mm. and get weak men to smear kindness as well. Anyway, um, how you been? I've been good, man. Yeah. I've been pretty good, you know? Me just too. Uh, worried Me about too. the strike, but the, I'm worried about the earth being on fire, but I'm enjoying indictment, Ron. I'm enjoying indictment year. I'm, I'm, I'm at this point, John, where I feel as though I had an epiphany about 10 years ago because I was at that at that point I was I sat down to write a memoir and until you sit down and I, I recommend that every person who gets to be 60 years old writes sits down and writes a memoir whether you're thinking about publishing it whether you have a shot at publishing it doesn't really matter it's an exercise in in as you're putting thoughts down that you never that you normally would never have to ponder you are shining a light on every single thing you ever did, why you did it, whether it was a decision that, that was for the greater good or whether it was self-serving. Or, but, you know, you basically, in order to write a, a proper memoir, you have to go up to 35,000 feet and look at the big picture. Yeah. And you'll start to see the reason why you were put here. So then I'm sitting there and I'm talking about, uh, you know, everything in the world that happened to me up, up until 60 years old. And it turned out that it was an incredibly celebratory life whereby in so many phases of it, it was just nothing but fucking shit on, on top of shingles. And it was just struggle and it was just having doors slammed. Yeah. And then you look at the big picture from the other side of the, of the, of the mountain and you realize every single one of those things was supposed to happen, yeah. especially the bad shit, because that was the only time where character was being induced yes. into the conversation. That was the only time where you needed to, when somebody was telling you, you know, you, you know that we, we just counted you out, you're out of the game, you know, where you had to put up the grit to say, oh, really? I'll show you. Fuck you. So every single obstacle and speed bump became an opportunity to, it was always there because it was supposed to be there. Yeah. And the obstacle is the path. What you, what you have to learn to do is make failure instantaneously an asset. Make it a friend. Make it something that the minute it visits your, your doorstep, you go, welcome in. Thank you so much. Because now I'm going to have to sit here and figure some shit out. And that was the big epiphany. 
And the one that I said, if there's anything that I want to pass down to my kids, it's that because they both wanted to go into the arts. And knowing what that journey looks like, you're going to have so many doors slammed in your face. You're going to have so many people telling you you're valueless. You're going to have so many people telling you, what the fuck are you doing in this business? You have no talent. You know, and you're going to have to be the only manager that manages you through. And the world kind of wants to agree with them. Yeah. What they, well, you know, the last thing they want, oh, Jesus, we got another success to deal with. It's really easy to, it's really tough when somebody comes, gets in your face and says, hey, look at me, I'm here. And you go, oh, Jesus Christ, this guy, this <laughs> fucking guy. You were saying that when you actually look at your own life and the discoveries you made about what makes sense, because, like, I've never met an interesting person who had an easy life. And in a way, you know, one of the, like, I love you as a villain, right? I'll watch you playing a villain in anything. Thank you. are so much fun to watch. And you find the humanity, you find the beauty, you find the wit. But I love you playing a good guy because you don't write your own scripts, but in some of my favorite characters of yours, there's this theme of self-sacrifice. There's this theme of a tough guy who finds his soul. That's Asher. That's the character of one in City of Lost Children. You know the guy who has every right to forfeit his humanity but finds a reason to give a fuck about other people anyway because mm-hmm. that's what real toughness and real strength is not your ability to kill people your ability to kill people and then choosing to care for someone else instead and i see that in a lot of your work and i think that's your spiritual side i think that's your political ethos as well you know we i don't know why we when i look at the transgender thing and these men that are so terrified of this oppressed minority. And I'm like, okay, is a real man gonna go beat up on a marginalized group? Or is the real man the guy who stands up and protects the marginalized group? And to me, that's the dividing line mm. in when it comes to men and morality. Mm. Yeah, I just feel so bad for the people who are so driven by their fear rather than their, their bravery rather than their ability to say, mm, maybe I should explore this a little bit. But their their default thing is like, fuck that group. Yeah. You know, and and it's it's all it's 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 so um it's like- counterintuitive because they think they're being American. They think they're being tough, rugged individuals. Yeah. Which is like, you know, the Marlboro man. They think they think they, they think they got the market cornered on like, you know, the, the fucking dude and, and, and you know, in the war movies and the and the westerns. <laughs> yeah. And what they're showing is they're just terrified. They're terrified that there are things that are moving in that they have to be forced to understand and to ultimately love and maybe even watch them become the majority at some point. That's what's driving all of this. 2045 is when Caucasians are going to become a minority in this country. Mm -hmm. And it's driving so much of the anxiety from anti-poverty programs to refugees to immigration uh, to to what DeSantis is doing in Florida, just trying to marginalize non-white voices and keep the white supremacy for as long as we can after whites become a minority. It's baked in. Mm-hmm. That's how this guy got elected. You know, that's, I mean, Trump played on people's fears. He knew it. He spoke to bigotry. He spoke to the weakness 
in so many white people who call themselves Christian, whether it's about women or, or transgender people or refugees, what have you, attack the powerless. But the thing of it is, and this, this brings the conversation kind of, I think you, you put me back onto the, 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 the thought that I had got derailed from, but where all that grievance, I think, comes from, the root of it, the, the cauldron of it, the furnace of it, we're way down underneath the guys that are fucking you know yeah. shoveling shit and keeping the fucking cauldron going and so it comes up into the into the zeitgeist and the biggest crime of all to me the thing that I find unforgivable and you can't lock a motherfucker up long enough or ugly enough if he commits this crime is to know that people are suffering and to, what is it called when you when you um, turn a, a, a normal guy into a terrorist? Radicalize. And you radicalize them. Yeah. You radicalize them in whatever way you're trying to do it. You know, we all see what's happening in the country. We see that there are all these straw... Uh, straw men? Yeah, which is, you know... Minorities yeah. voting and, yeah. and abortion and, and transgender and all. These are all straw men yeah. for these guys to basically say to all of the people who are truly hurting and who, who whose opportunities have truly, truly become a distant memory from, a, from some sort of a former time when America used to be great. If you radicalize those poor people... Those poor people who are, have just had the fucking snot knocked out of them because of corporatization of yes. everything. Yes. Then you should go away and never, ever be seen again. And if you lock all these motherfuckers up, including the entire fucking Republican Party, because they have now chosen to. I mean, they've chosen to embrace beating the shit out of cops with American flags on the Capitol steps. They've no, renounced everything. No, but they, they have chosen to relinquish. They're what they know is right because they're so terrified of the base. Yeah, all that, of them. And they're so terrified of losing their power that they... Preach. They, they, they who are supposedly the guardrails of the great vision of this fucking country, which, <laughs> which you know, I, I happen to personally, you know, like, I'm a sucker when I watch a Frank Capra movie. Same. And they... And they put their hand to their heart, and they and they and they, you know, sing the Star Spangled Banner. I get tears in my eyes. I love this place. Don't 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 ever get me wrong, when I start to spew about these motherfuckers, it's not out of anything other than the original vision of this place does not have room for a motherfucker to know he's doing something wrong, and the litany of things that are, that that these that this party. And these people, the DeSantis mm -hmm. and, and the Trumps, are doing to radicalize people who just got fucking punched in the mouth. That's it. Is the biggest sin I've ever witnessed, and it's the thing. It's the thing that makes me the saddest. And so, getting back to the actor strike, uh, this is I'm gonna. I'm I love gonna, it. I'm gonna tie this you up. You did it. Um, <laughs> right now. Our little union is having a, a Donnybrook uh, with a bunch of people who take home half a billion dollars a year 
for doing nothing but buying other companies and then firing 9,000 people when they do it so that they could show their stockholders, look, we, we now, we're now worth way more than we used to be because now instead of being one company, we're eight. That's we just took system. over the other seven. That's the system. And not only that, but we streamlined because we fired all these motherfuckers. Well, what happens to those motherfuckers? They become, they're one paycheck away from utter like devastation yeah. and then the politicians come in and say I'm going to show you who to blame for that yeah so it's compounded but but, but, but getting back to the, if I may is that it all happened with the advent of the CEO it all happened when every mom and pop business that existed in Alabama or Mississippi or Louisiana got swallowed up by some fucking big bookstore yeah which shall remain nameless got swallowed up by some you know that's okay it, that big bookstore got swallowed up by the internet yeah that, but every everything is about a swallowing things up so that your worth on paper is greater than it's ever been and your ability to like get rid of all of the people that put you there the mom and pops that built those businesses and that hired yeah kids who had didn't have a high school education hired them they had a way to like raise a family and retire with dignity. That was called the middle class. Mm-hmm. So we no and longer- And Republicans helped build it. Eisenhower helped build it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was back when they, you know, they-, they, they Well, you know. he was the last Republican. Um, we have to take a, a quick break. Can you oh, stick no. Around? Yeah, no. We have just two minutes, we'll be right back. I'm just going to keep talking. You keep can on break talking through the break. Like. We'll tell some dirty jokes. I have a- I have Ladies a, and gentlemen- oh, I also, so, when we come sorry. back, I want to explain that I was scared to have you because I didn't want to ask you questions that would get us in trouble with the union. I'll explain that when we get back. And I have a couple of movie questions for you as well okay. that, uh, that won't violate any strike rules. We'll oh, be right back. Violate me. <laughs> We'll be violating Ron Perlman with your calls. This is Progress. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. .edu slash podcast. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on, because you know I love it when you do. The hottest woman in the history of recorded music was Ronnie Spector. Fight me on this. Ronnie was a regular on this show. I loved her. She loved us. And Ronnie Spector... 
in heaven is celebrating her 80th birthday today. Well, I hope she's welcoming uh, Robbie Robertson, who just uh, made that milestone yesterday, and uh, and then uh, and then said goodbye. Yeah, that Robbie. Was, that was that was a, a gut punch. I wasn't ready. Robbie did this show a lot. I loved him. I've known him for 25 years, and I love the new music. I love how his career kept evolving and changing. Mm. And I'm still dealing with Crosby. I'm still dealing with Sinead O'Connor and Tony Bennett and Tina Turner. I oh, wasn't man, yeah. expecting to hear about Robbie a month after he turned 80. Yeah. And I just, I, and, I just can't believe and it. William in Freakin, uh, that was like uh, yeah. the true end of an era. Yeah. You know, I was, I was worried. I wrote you earlier this morning saying, hey, are, are, can we talk about acting? Can we talk about craft? Or is the union going to get mad? Oh, we can talk about acting. We just can't talk about I new products. Can't, I can't projects. promote any, any, any of the 15 projects that I had that opened last week. It's insane. You have so many things Wait a minute, coming out this year. Them? No, you didn't promote them. Didn't say them by name. I won't say anything. I won't talk about the voiceover work or the big, I'm gonna name the big franchise movie that came out recently. That uh, get, get, mention any of that. Okay. But I had Greg Proops on here last night. And I think we spent about half the time talking about Island of Dr. Moreau. Which one? There were three, you know. We're talking about the most... Well, I'll always think Charles Lawton was, was, was probably the, the scariest. But the version you did with Mr. Brando is mm. a film that I have always found to be so fascinating. Really? Oh, it's insane. I mean... Do you have a support group that you go to? Because l- l- no, you, it's, you, you can't get a half a dozen people that would agree with it. It has always... No, I can't. I can. Because oh, okay. I, I, first off, first off, there's so many good actors in that film. That's true. For all the problems, for all the prosthetics, there's That's so true. many good actors doing interesting work. And then there's whatever Marlon Brando's doing in that movie. And mm. I've watched it a few times over the years and I can't take my eyes off of him. I mean, I think the film does lose speed when he leaves in the in you know two thirds through, but it's such a, a fascinating film. And I told Proops you were coming on. That's all he wanted to talk about. You have so many credits, <laughs> many of which involve you under a lot of makeup. I have a lot of debits as well, <laughs> but so many films that mean so much to different people. That's awesome. Yeah, you go to Comic Con and people great, come at you for ten different things. My favorite line. I'm sorry to interrupt you, yeah. John, but I just did. My favorite line <laughs> um, in. Um, in, in a movie that um, I can promote because I'm not in it, but uh, <laughs> it's 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 um, good as it gets. Mm-hmm. When um, Greg Kinnear, at the end of uh, Jack Nicholson, making this very magnanimous gesture, Greg Kinnear says, "I love you, Melvin," and Jack says, "Man, if that did it for me, I'd be the luckiest man in the world." That's that's my favorite line in that it. movie. I get it. But you, you're someone, and I've seen this, you're someone that people have so much love for because the work meant so much to them, be it Hellboy, be it whichever credit. Does it ever get strange for you to receive that? Because some people go, Brando went crazy from it. Dylan went crazy from it. I mean, you get a lot of love for a lot of different projects. And well, I would imagine it fills you with grace, but it must be kind of hard to receive sometimes. The reason why Brando and Dylan got crazy from it is because they were geniuses. I'm just a, your average Joe walking the street. I will say this. It never made me crazy, but I'm really not good at at recognizing that I had any impact whatsoever on anyone or anything. Really? I will say this, though. I remember how I felt when I was a kid, if I ever crossed paths with a movie a movie actor. 
I won't use the word movie star, but a movie actor, somebody who I'd watched and 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 they they took on this gigantic um, presence for me. They were like gods, mm-hmm. and then I would see them in real life, and it was a moment that stays with you for the whole rest of your life. And so I understand that. How was it working with Marlon Brando? Working with Marlon Brando, and I, I actually plugged my book earlier. Yes. In my in my memoir, I'll never be able to. We don't have enough time for me to to um, to answer that question with any kind of um, <laughs> accuracy. But in my book, I stretched it out into two chapters, even though I only did one scene with the motherfucker. <laughs> but I stretched it out into t- because it's such a gigantic event for an actor. Yeah. That in fact. You know, you mentioned that it was such a great cast in that movie. The only reason we were all there was because Marlon greenlit the project. Yeah. You know, and, and it was not a John Frankenheimer movie, as it turned out to be. That's true. It was this movie by this guy named Richard, um, I can't remember his last name, but he brought Brando on. He had made a couple of art house films, really unique, really mm-hmm. weird, kinky films, mm-hmm. but, but very, very interesting. And he pitched doing another version of Moreau to Brando, and Brando said yes. That got the whole bo- that got it financed by um, New Line, and and then that got the whole regular rest of the cast on, including yours truly, because I had vowed to never put prosthetic makeup on again. Yeah, and I said for Marlon, I'll uh, you know I'll, I'll wear a tutu. Yeah, you know. So um, yeah, it, it uh, interestingly enough, he was just coming off this Dagdrolet. Yeah. Um, Christian Brando incident, and he he was just finding out that if he had gone back to Tararoa, which is the island he owned in the in in the South Pacific, part of the Tahitian Islands, mm-hmm. that there was a contract out on him because he took his son's side in that in that, and so he he would and then his daughter Cheyenne had 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 just committed suicide. Yeah. So when I got Brando, there was a fucking sadness and a heaviness. He was. He's not a. He was not a sad guy. He was like a leprechaun. Yeah. He was. He was. He would put a whoopee cushion on your seat and just fucking laugh his ass off when it made farting sounds. But that's why I found that movie to be so fascinating at this period of pain in his life that he signed on for this horror movie where he was wearing a muumuu and just being wacky. Yeah. Well, the beautiful, innocent, love of laughter kind of Marlon never left, but. You know, life deals you these things, and you you have to absorb all this punishment. And it, I could I could see I, I I was so fascinated. I just watched him. I just watched him. I watched him every minute I was in his presence, and I could see that when he didn't think anybody was looking at him, he was in a really dark place. But the minute the guys would come on set and say, "Okay, we're about to shoot," he would become this like leprechaunish, very happy, very jolly fellow who loved. Walking did anything to get a laugh, or to or to have somebody else make him laugh. He was a he was, a, he was just a beautiful soul that way. But that makes and him he hated, even he hated, actor. he hated the artifice. He hated having to carry the burden of being the greatest actor who ever lived. He hated um, the fact that he was looked upon as a mystic because nobody could figure out how he gave the performances he gave. So everybody assigned. And it was the same with Dylan. Same with Dylan. Nobody could figure out how Dylan wrote those words, and so they assigned all of this mysticism to him. I think it's why they both put out like shitty product every few years just to demystify themselves. Dylan put out deliberately bad records, and Brando signed onto some movies he probably shouldn't have done just to take I, away the mystique. I, I haven't found a bad Dylan record. 
I found that his voice has deteriorated a bit yeah, over love, the years. I love his voice on the new record, but you know the original the, rough and rowdy ways. That we rough and rowdy ways is great. Yeah, but how no. About, how about uh, triplicate? His voice is great on with the horn sections. The horn section does, songs on triplicate are fucking great. Sinatra songs. He did five he albums until of Sinatra songs. He had no songs. voice to, to make that recording. <laughs> but he does. He does. He really said. Oh my god! Do you know how they like recorded that record? He went into the same studio Sinatra recorded in in Capitol. A Capitol. And they had the band play live. They stood in a circle, no headphones, and Dylan, whose favorite singer is Al Jolson. You're kidding. He said that the the recording engineer for uh, uh, Love and Theft said Dylan handed everybody Al Jolson tapes and said, this is how I sing. And so when you view it through that way, he's being a crooner. Yeah, he's an eccentric gazillionaire who can do whatever he wants in his late 70s. But I mean, I think his version of Once Upon a Time is better than Tony Bennett's mm. because the, it is the shattered voice. But that's where the pathos comes through. Well, let's agree to disagree then. Uh-huh. All right. Well, um, Tony Bennett, come on. Uh, Once upon a time. Yeah, but Bob's version is beautiful. Bob sounds like he's dying in that song. And yeah. and, um, and self portraits. Self portraits a bad album. He put that album out. I well, I just say. I got I just got bullshitted into buying this Righteous Kingdom. It's called, which is Bob covering Bob. Oh yeah, I love it. It's and uh, you know, it's it's all it's he chose his greatest compositions. Yeah, but he chose Shadow to King. sing them when. His voice was ravaged. I mean, if you watch, if you watch that that movie that he was in, Don't Look Back. Yeah, he chain smoked. I mean, the guy smoked. Totally. Like, you know, he even says it in the movies. They're accusing me of smoking eighty a day. You know, and he did. He fucking lit one off the other. So yeah. his voice is a little still. I mean, even Sinatra's voice from the smoking and the drinking got a little yeah. raggedy. McCartney's yeah. voice is very thin now. Yeah, but there's a movie of Shadow Kingdom shot in black and white. It's one of the best things that came out last well, year. Well, I, I will. I will. Uh, I'm. I'm. A, I'm a Dylan freak. I can't get enough. But I don't think he ever made a bad album. Did you ever meet him? No. Can you arrange that? I'll work on it. I've been trying myself for a couple of decades. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> down in the groove. Eh, you know, I think uh, down in the groove is. Uh, I mean, but there's still. But even the Dylan albums that no one likes, there's still great songs in every one. So, so you're right. You know, back to your idea, your your question about my my sense of myself as a. Let's say a, just say a celebrity because yeah. you know, rather than how I like to think of myself as just a guy who goes to the grocery store and the dry cleaners, working artist, dog, working you know, artist, just a normal, normal dude, right? But um, I once was in talks with Frank Sinatra Jr. Uh, because I was trying to do a, kind of an homage movie, and I needed his, I needed the arrangements, and and Frank Senior left Frank Jr. all of the arrangements, so I needed Frank Jr.'s okay and participation in this thing. And at the end of it, he said, you know, my dad used to come home uh, on a Sunday when he was on the road. Your show aired on Fridays, and he taped them. I said, your dad knew who Jesus I was? Jesus Christ. He said, my dad watched Quest for Fire. And he started to go down all the list of things. I mean, the, the way I met Frank Jr. was that he left me a note in Nate and Al's deli in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and it, it was a list of like 16 of my titles saying, just a fan, Frank yeah. Jr., and the waitress handed it to me. She said, you saw Frank, Frank Sinatra Jr. was just here. I said, yeah, I saw. He said, he left, he left this for you. And I, I read it, and, and his phone number was on there. I called him up. I said, are you fucking serious? He said, oh, man. I mean, that was, uh, That's that was as close to an out-of-body experience as I got when I found out that Frank Sinatra 
knew who the fuck I was. I just heard Bob Dylan's son is going to do an album of uh, Frank Sinatra Jr. songs, so I'll, I'll send that to you when it comes out. <laughs> Ron Perlman, I am so honored anytime we can drag you here to do this show. That was good. Thank you. I saved the funny shit for the very end. Um, I won't ask you what you have coming out because I know you're not allowed to say. I can't say. But listen, I, I just want to thank you again for all the great performances, for, for all the humanity you put into your characters, for elevating the work of someone like Del Toro. And most importantly, for being on this show, because I know it's a career highlight for you to come back oh, here again. This is... I know. It's Sinatra. This is, this is Olympus right yeah, here. I was going to say. Everything's I, downhill after this, John. God bless you. God Thank bless you for coming you here today. And I hope you have a great, uh, I know you're having a birthday party tonight for somebody. I hope you have a, ba- yeah. have a blast. Uh, thank you very much. And, and thank you for always inviting me and thinking of me. I consider you a dear friend. You keep showing me that you can be a commercial artist and be fearless in your convictions and be entertaining on both fronts. And I can't thank you enough because uh, you're one of the few that keeps me going on. Have a great evening. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with your calls. This is Progress. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. This is SiriusXM Progress. Our thanks to Ron Perlman. Russ, I hope you were impressed by that. I mean, my God. It was amazing. It's, he's, he's like having an Old Testament character in the ring. He's just a, a foul-mouthed who could kill you. But, man, I, I'm going to go back and watch uh, Drive tonight. He's so great in that. Uh, on the show tomorrow, we're going to be joined by our good friends Jackie Schechner and Jody Hamilton. And tomorrow night, we will revisit, in hour number three, our 2019 town hall special filmed in front of a live audience, with Robbie Robertson. It was uh, not the last time he did the show, but it was the last time he did the show with an audience, and it was to celebrate his movie and his final album, Cinematic. So we're going to... God bless Chris Houselt, our amazing boss, dug it up from 2019, and tomorrow in hour number three, we will be replaying our town hall with Robbie. I'm John saying This is Sirius XM Progress. Lots and lots to get to. The death toll in Maui went to 36 overnight, and Hawaii's lieutenant governor has asked tourists to stay away during what will be a very long recovery process. Special counsel, it's up to 53. Oh my God. Wow. Two years ago, this two years ago today, I was doing this show from Maui for uh, two weeks, and it is one of the most beautiful spots on earth. I have friends there. Um, God help these poor people. And they were a victim of two different facets of climate change. The winds were blowing so heavily on the outskirts of hurricanes over the ocean, and then the incredible heat made the whole place a tinderbox. We're going to keep on seeing more and more of these climate disasters, and it's going to keep on hurting the most vulnerable people. Also, the Supreme Court today has blocked the $6 billion Purdue Pharma settlement that would have let the Sackler family be immune from future complicity in our country's opioid epidemic. Yes, the Supreme Court may have actually done something profoundly cool today. And uh, Joe Manchin is uh, seriously considering leaving the Democratic Party. 
I didn't know he was still part of it. We're at 866-997-4748. Coming up later on this hour, we'll be with uh, our good friend Allison Gill, the deviant superstar behind Muller She Wrote, the Daily Beans podcast. Right now, we are taking your calls at 866-997-4748. Marsha in San Diego, thank you so much for your patience. You're on SiriusXM. Oh, a pleasure. That was such a great interview. I have to say, Basso Profundo. That, profundo? That is Basso Profundo. Ah, um, mm-hmm. That is Ron's voice. Oh, if, yes. If he were a singer, he would be singing like the low Russian bass notes, you know. Yeah. That, what an amazing voice and what an amazing human being. But I, Seriously. I, he said something about 16 to 35-year-olds, and I... I wanted to give him hope. My my Sprout is the fundraiser for Next Up, which used to be the Oregon Bus Project. And what they do is they train young people how to be politically active. And oh. I went to one of their webinars, and there was a 17-year-old high school kid who was organizing her whole high school to, you know, to do amazing political stuff. So um, there is hope. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. That's so. Mo- that w- what was it that first got you into mobilizing young voters? What inspired you? Um, so me, I, well, that was my my sprout who was doing that. But for okay. me, it was having kids in in college where. Mm-hmm. So one of my kids went to um, Stanford. The other went. Uh, the other one went to Humboldt State, and mm-hmm. you know Stanford is full of really privileged people, but Humboldt State is not. And Jacqueline was meeting a lot of people from different kinds of neighborhoods where it wasn't safe to go outside and walk at two in the morning. So um, I started to get politically active. Actually, it was the Randy Rhodes show. Randy's always saying, get active, get active. Mm. There was a guy Mm -hmm. who called up. He goes, what do you mean get active? No, get active, get active. Anyway, she said, she said, go to the white pages, look up your town and then County Democratic Party and call them up and say, how can I help? And so I did. Nice. <laughs> nice. Go, you want to help? <laughs> oh, that, that was, Marcia. That was the beginning. I don't need more inspiration. I just had an hour with Ron Perlman, but here you are sprinkling it on. Thank <laughs> you so much. <laughs> well, you know, the other thing is that I'm incredibly shy and I have GAD. And when you have GAD, you have two choices. One is to stay home and and shut the doors and the other one is to go well as ron perlman would say fuck that and get out of the house and start knocking on doors so that's what i do and and call your show (laughs) well thank you marcia you classed up the joint nicely tonight i really appreciate it have a great evening (laughs) thank you we're at 866-997-4748 bill in new jersey how are you sir welcome i'm pretty good how are you john good thank you yeah, I was just reminiscing because July 28th was the 50th anniversary of the Summer Jam at Watkins Glen, which still is the largest uh, music festival in uh, U.S. history. Uh, I didn't even know. and something thousand people. Um, I was going to school up there right nearby in Ithaca, and my friends, it was classic 70s. They came up in the microbus, you know, and... Uh, by the time we got to the uh, festival, it was already, they had 150,000 tickets, but uh, they had to let 620,000 people in, which is still the mm-hmm. largest pop festival in U.S. history. And wow. it was the uh, Grateful Dead, the band, and then the Allman Brothers. And wow. uh, the Grateful Dead did like three hours, I think. And then the band came on. 
and they were only going to do two hours. Uh, but right in the middle, sort of like Woodstock, there was a big rainstorm, and uh, it uh, it it went up after a while. But uh, um, what's his name? The uh, keyboard guy, uh, Garth. Garth Hudson. Uh, right, he played through the rain. Yeah. While it was going on until the mm-hmm. people reunited again. And uh, a- after after like six hours or whatever it was, uh, all the members of each band got together and jammed for another hour. Oh, wow. And uh, it was pretty good. And it was the first time they had this new sound system where they were able to eliminate the uh, delay because, mm-hmm. of, you know, sound between. And they had, uh, you know, they had like 16 towers of speakers going Jesus. back like over 600 feet. And what year was this? What year, Bill? 73. Wow. Summer of 73. Wow. And I got to see the band a few times, but when, when when I saw the band, it was after Robbie. You know, I saw the band in the 90s after Robertson had left, and it was, you know, Garth and, and Levon and, and, and Rick and a bunch of other guys. But it was still a wonderful uh-huh. show. But you saw the oh, real thing. Yeah. I guess so. And, uh, no, it, it was great. Uh, people showed up the day before on the 27th. And when Robbie Robertson came out to do a sound check, he couldn't believe there was this huge crowd in front of the, uh, state, uh, stage. And the, the show was until the next day. Uh, wow. but, uh, no, it, it, it was, it was wonderful. I, uh, uh, I, I, I live for that time. I happened to be up at Ithaca. It was a beautiful summer. I was working on a film uh, documentary on filmmaking in Ithaca during the 20s because it was a big place to do a lot of filmmaking. And mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, uh, the School of Music, which is really good, they had a, uh, a master class in classical guitar. So in the dorm I was sitting in, it was just beautiful music all the time. Wow. Um, anyway. You make the play. 70s sound lovely. <laughs> right. Um, I was just wondering, what do you think about the idea of getting rid of state lines and having one big uh, country? I think it's a very novel idea that would be deeply unpopular uh, with both conservatives and liberals. Well, what makes you think about it? Because this yeah. land is our land, this is land is your land, whatever, because it would remove all the gerrymandering crap and everything there would be just uh and get rid of the senate because it does not <laughs> the state's right so, le- no, so less rep- so less representation less representation is the answer no no that's more representation because the senate doesn't represent anybody they represent the state's interest people couldn't even vote for senators in the beginning it was the state government against the the house which is the people of the united right. states and uh, it does not. It's modeled after the um, what you call it, the the House of Lords in England, and okay. which is filled with aristocrats. And this is what these guys are. And they don't do anything. They're handmaidens. If the the presidents at the same party, they're handmaidens to them. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I don't. I don't think I want to get rid of the Senate. I think I'd rather tie their salary into results. You know, I think results-based oh, pay, as long as the Congress wants to impose that on teachers, I say, here's my idea. We, we, we make all the Senate, we pay them minimum wage, uh-huh. okay, minimum uh-huh. wage, and expect that they get their health care, minimum wage, uh-huh. and um, and then and, and expect them to go to work and, and see how they do. That's, that's my feel. Because, again, Congress, mm-hmm. like waitresses, mm-hmm. they live off mm-hmm. the tips. 
They make all right. their money off well, the tips. So I would support that. One, one other thing that's just very important to remember, at the founding of our country, we were rural. We were like 80% rural and 20% urban. You know, Philadelphia yeah. has like 20,000 people. Right now, the majority of people in America, 80% live in urban areas, and only 20% That's right. live in uh, rural areas. Oh, I know it. And the uh, 20% in the real rural areas are talking. Yeah. Uh, That's why people who don't understand geography send you maps that look all red of this country because they count acreage as people. Mm -hmm. Look where the population centers are. And of course, as climate change gets worse, more people will be moving to the cities. And that's going to make things very interesting when the cities have more people. But the states Mm -hmm. with very little people get to make all the decisions. Mm-hmm. Your 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 idea may become more popular than we realize in the next 20 years, Bill. I got to run, but I thank you for the call. Quick break. We'll be right back with more of your calls. And the great Allison Gillis back on our show. This is Progress. This is Sirius XM Progress. I'm John saying Broadcasting this week, last week, and next week out of Sirius XM's beautiful Hollywood studios. And I still call them new because uh, they were brand new when the whole world shut down. Thanks again to, uh, I mean, what a guest. <laughs> Ron Perlman, anytime we get that guy here. Guys, uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith today proposed a January 2nd start date for Donald Trump's trial. I know what you're saying. Which trial is this? Is this with the porn star? No. Is this where he's threatening the Georgia Secretary of State? No. Wait for that. Is this for the, the stealing the documents? No. Is this for the pyramid scheme? No. That's in January. But good on you for remembering that scandal. There's a lot of court cases coming up to keep track of. Donald Trump's defense team, spoiler alert, is going to probably try to push for a delay until after the election because election interference. But think about this. They want to have this trial on January 2nd, and the Iowa caucuses are scheduled for January 15th. We are about to see a president, a former president, not just have a criminal trial as he seeks re-election Grover Cleveland style. He's going to have about five. There's another E. Jean Carroll trial coming up as well. I need someone much smarter than me to keep track of all this and much more moral than me. Fortunately, we have a lot of people out there that can do that. One of them is Allison Gill, known to you lot, maybe as A.G., who is a terrific entertainer and broadcaster and activist. In 2017, she started her first podcast, Muller, she wrote, out of her kitchen. When the government investigated the podcast, Donald Trump had her fired, even though she'd been working with him for more than 11 years. This woman is a hero on governance on military sexual assault. This woman is a hero on holding people accountable for their crimes. And she's also the person behind Jack, a special counsel podcast. What a great pleasure to welcome Allison Gill back to the show. Hey, it's good to see you, my friend. It's very good to see you. Thank you so much. And yeah, good on you on getting out ahead of it. You really have a thing for naming podcasts after special counsel, and I appreciate it. First Muller and now Jack. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I, you know, I think that uh, we were probably the only uh, Mueller podcast that was that was happening at the time. And so we just aggregated all the news. But I'm really happy to be here and I'm really excited about this January trial date. So I don't know. Do you want to start? Do you want to start with that? Because I'm, I'm I mean, 
I would love to. I, I will, let me let me uh, let me quote Jack Smith. Um, he said, "It's difficult to imagine a public interest stronger than the one in this case, in which the defendant, a former president of the U.S., is charged with three criminal conspiracies intended to undermine the federal government, obstruct the certification of the 2020 presidential election, and disenfranchise the voters." Uh, Allison, I keep saying this guy, Jack Smith, is like a lesbian Scientologist. He gets a lot done in a day and he doesn't fuck around. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Um, you know, here, here's the thing. I was thinking that he would probably propose a December trial date um, with, you know, within the realm of the Speedy Trial Act, which is a 70 days and starting, you know, yes. with the August 28th hearing, because I think Trump asked to have the have it told until that hearing when the trial date is set. And that's when we'll know if the judge agrees to January 2nd or whatever BS Trump puts forward, uh, which is due in seven days. But the jury selection starts on December 11th, which was the original trial date Woo. for the Mar-a-Lago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so jury selection begins uh, in December uh, with a trial uh, he wants to start on, on January 2nd. And I had long said he would set a December date with eyes on March, uh, be waiting for different uh, delay tactics down the line with weird filings and change of venue filings and trying to remove the judge filings and all the filings that Donald Trump's going to make. They're going to have to. <laughs> Um, you know, the judge will will deal with them in short order, but they'll be appealed and they'll have yes. to go to the, circuit, uh, you know, and then they'll have to go maybe to SCOTUS and they'll ask for emergency stays and administrative stays and all this stuff. So because, you know, we do have the aging Carroll trial set for that's January. the other one. Yeah. Yeah. There's the pyramid scheme trial, the aging Carroll trial part two there's the alvin bragg case there's the documents case and and now of course we're waiting on fonnie willis but if jack smith gets this this date would put trump in a dc courtroom before his hush money trial in new york starts march 25th which is just 20 days after super tuesday and his classified documents trial in florida on may 20th i mean conceivably this man could be a convicted felon before we even get to super tuesday allison yeah, and that's um, very possible, though I do think that there might be some hiccups if if the judge accepts the January trial date and we might see this in March. We know Alvin Bragg, who's scheduled to go in March. Everybody's in line, like take a number to, to, mm-hmm. to take this guy to court, uh, whether it's criminal uh, or civil. But Alvin Bragg has said he would, you know, stand back and stand by, uh, <laughs> if you will, uh, for uh, in, in the interest of justice. Um, so we could see this go in January. We could see it go in March. I think the May documents trial will probably be delayed. That one's going to take a lot longer because of all the classified documents. Although in a filing today, John, there are SEPA yes. considerations in this particular plot to, you know, subvert or conspire against our rights to vote, to, to over, overturn the election. And my friends and I, some, you know, some who are SEPA experts were like, what could it be? And the best, be? guess that, the best guess that we have is that remember when Kosh Patel was over at the DOD and then he put his friend Michael Ellis over at the NSA yes. Yes. and Sidney Powell was trying to say, well, Rudy wanted to have the Department of Defense seize voting machines. And the Department <laughs> of Defense said, you have to have proof of foreign interference to do that. And so Sidney Powell says, well, I think Venezuela and the other guy was like Italy, too. They're satellites. Oh, and God, so you yes. might have sent the uh, the NSA 
to find and report on whether these things had any validity or not. And they're, you know, with their friends at the at the at the NSA. And so those reports may be classified and might be part of this case. That is a wild guess. It could really be anything. It could be executive orders that <clears throat> that are classified that Trump wanted to maybe invoke, like certain emergency acts for insurrection or things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's it's going to be interesting, but it won't be delayed nearly as long as the documents trial, which is 31, now 32 uh, classified documents ever since they added the one that he waved around at Bedminster. So That's that right. could be delayed. This trial could get pushed to the summer, but this one will go before the documents case. It will definitely go before the Fonnie Willis case, which we should see indictments uh, in the next week or two. Oh, yes. Um, so <laughs> it'll be the first it'll be the first one to go, uh, not not counting his civil uh, suits. Yeah, it's it's a lot to keep track of. I'm going to have to write a, a, a poem or something to, to, to a Dr. Seuss book to memorize all this stuff, because, yeah, it's a lot of malfeasance. I don't want to get to the bulk of the malfeasance in a bit, but I, I got to say, I've been very impressed by how this special prosecutor does not seem willing to let Donald Trump dictate the narrative. Unlike the political class, unlike the media, Jack Smith is really not letting him Trump do it. Uh, Pori Hemplo, um, they were Trump's lawyers were saying, well, you know, the, you know, we, we, we want to have some time. We want to have some time. Uh, we have to delay this. And Jack Smith came out and said, no, you know, the right to a speedy trial right here is solely for the benefit of the defendant. But a January 2nd start date would serve the public's strong interest. And then when Trump's attorneys claimed that the DOJ has been investigating this case for three and a half years, which is a lie, um, prosecutors said in the filing they had first had contact with Trump's lawyers in June of last year. So they're really right on top of it. And they're knocking down his bullshit. Obviously, folks who watch Fox and Newsmax will never know their bullshit has been knocked down, but they are taking the fight to Trump. And if you saw that flop sweat speech the other night, Allison, he, I've never seen him looking so scared. No, he really does. Uh, and, and he, you know, he's a, a lot more volatile over on on Truth Social. Uh, but not only what you said with, you know, Jack disallowing him to, to you know, flood the zone with shit. Um, Jack Smith was like, but, but because, you know, Trump's arguing, we need more time. We need more time to come up with all the motions we're going to file. And he's like, no, you don't. You went on TV. You did a full Ginsburg this weekend and told us all the motions you intend to file. You don't need any extra time to contemplate the motions that you intend to file because you told us all the motions you intend Boom. to file. So so stop. Um, a full Ginsburg, by the way, is when a lawyer <laughs> appears on all five Sunday shows, the five major Sunday shows. Um, and the last, the first person that did it was Ginsburg, the attorney, uh, during the Monica Lewinsky, uh, issue and trial, uh, most recently, uh, until John Lauro did it this past weekend, it was when Rudy Giuliani went on after the Hollywood access tape hit all five seconds. That's right. That's right. And, and boy, what a, what a good job he did for his client. Um, you know, we, we talked about that as well a lot this week about, about that bit of history repeating, but it was a great point. How can you come out and say you need more time when you have the time to go do five TV shows in one day? And let me just say, Donald Trump doesn't seem to be able to afford lawyers as good as Evan Corcoran anymore. Is that a fair assessment of John Lauro's ability on camera? I mean, he's 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 no Rudy. <laughs> he's 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 no Ty Cobb either. 
No, but he, I mean, he's, uh, Lauro isn't bad. Blanche is better, uh, but he's yeah. not really a TV lawyer. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm always an advocate. Everybody deserves a defense um, and a good defense attorney. I agree. Uh, uh, I just wish that, uh, you know, in our two-tiered system of justice, everybody was treated the way Donald Trump has been treated. And that's going to be how I advocate for justice from now on. When people, um, you know, right now, the big thing is uh, that, that, you know, that Twitter was uh, subpoenaed uh, for yeah search warrant, excuse me, uh, for Donald Trump's account. And they're saying, oh, how dare they uh, intrude upon my Twitter, et cetera. The right wing media is blowing up on this. And I'm like, okay, as as soon as the police who lied to get a search warrant to enter Breonna Taylor's apartment where she was murdered, as soon as that, if you're not upset about that, but you're upset about a lawful probable cause backed lawful search warrant into uh, somebody who attempted a coup i don't want to mm-hmm. hear from you i don't want to hear from well you. Uh, let me ask you about that because i found it fascinating not just that jack smith got a, a search warrant for trump's twitter account because who's in his dms i can only wonder um this was in January of this year. They tried to get this warrant to push Twitter to hand over the records under a non-disclosure order. And apparently Elon did not want to play ball. And the court found there were no there were reasonable grounds to believe that disclosing the warrant to Donald Trump would seriously jeopardize the ongoing evidence. So the prosecutors and the judge were scared that if Trump knew about the warrant, he would destroy evidence change patterns of behavior, notify Confederates, and even flee from prosecution. What do you make of the fact that they wanted to go through his long dormant Twitter account and the fact that Elon seems to have done everything he could possibly do to not cooperate, and now he's going to have to borrow three fifty grand to pay that? Well, it certainly explains why Donald Trump is coming out now saying that the January 6th Select Committee destroyed and deleted evidence because every accusation... Right is a confession. And I have to believe, first of all, that that uh, even though he wasn't supposed to, but they eventually agreed Elon could tell, Twitter could tell Donald about this. There had to have been some sort of coordination there, uh, an attempt to destroy evidence. He's already been indicted for destroying, for conspiring to destroy evidence, which is the, yes. the surveillance tapes at Mar-a-Lago. It's his, it's, anybody who puts obstruction of justice past this guy is uh, doesn't see the forest for the trees. God, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how much it means to me after Robert Mueller gift wrapped 10 counts of obstruction of justice and handed it to the Democrats in the Congress who decided not to do a damn thing with it. I, I mean, they had two impeachments. They could have slipped those 10 counts in, but they just didn't want to chase it. I've never been able to understand why they continue to let the right wing set the narrative. It really like back then. It's like, well, Mueller didn't have a real smoking gun. Uh, you know, well, let's not even pursue this. Let's let's just leave this. And now they're going after him and after him and after him, but only for stuff he actually did. There was a whole piece um, in uh, the New York Times about how the, the concern, of course, in the New York Times, the concern that people may be getting fatigued by all this. They're having indictment fatigue and there's too many cases and most Americans aren't keeping track. And, you know, it's amazing, Allison, I, how deeply I don't care. Science has not created an instrument that can measure how little I care that some people don't like all these indictments because there's too many of them. Yeah. That's can't even be real. I, I ranted with Pete Strzok about this on, on our latest bonus episode of Clean Up on L45 
that drops this weekend. And I put out a Twitter poll. Do you have indictment fatigue? Uh, And the options are no and fuck no, because I don't I like what we stood in a fire hose of shit and lies and scandal and oppression and having our rights stripped away and stealing Supreme Court seats for for years have not being able to have those obstruction of justice charges uh, filed that Mueller found because Barr decided to shut it down by writing a memo saying that he is declining to prosecute. The Department of Justice is declining to prosecute. You know, he speaks for the department. He doesn't speak for him himself. Mm. It is almost impossible to charge those things. They spun the whole Mueller fight. Oh, there was no collusion. There was so much collusion. There was so much collusion. They had to fire his campaign manager for all the collusion. We stood there and took it forever and a lot and like then then covid and but that was his because of his mismanagement all those deaths That's right and and now they're like oh i'm super sad there's just too many indictments for for me to like like you can't handle 78 federal felonies or not federal but federal and state felonies you that's too much i don't believe it for a second i think that is the <laughs> i think that is the mainstream media selling their both sides shit that they have to sell That's right. uh, and it's, you know it's our job to push back against it so don't listen to those people you're not tired of indictments they're awesome one, one more question about the twitter thing because it seems to me that the twitter thing is potentially huge uh, we, we know that jack smith knows much 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 more than any of us know but when i heard about this i thought well this seems like it, it's even deeper this investigation than we even thought but also how much incriminating evidence must they have found in Trump's direct message inbox that they're going to actually be doing this and getting judges involved to keep Trump from finding out? And, and then finally, of course, it just proves that Musk tried to deny the warrant for Trump's Twitter records. Yeah, and, and it could also be, um, maybe not instead of or in lieu of, but in addition to, um, you know, in the indictment, Jack Smith said the defendant tweeted, the defendant tweeted, not it was tweeted from the defendant's account. And you can get information from Twitter like geolocation, uh, IP addresses. There's information in Twitter, in your Twitter account that can verify who sent Right. It's more it's more. Was this tweeted from Trump's actual phone while he sat on the John in the White House? Or is this a Stephen Miller composition? Right. Is that what it's more about rather than anything incriminating that might be in his DMs? Well, it could be both. There's also in the discovery uh, um, this this proposal that Jack Smith filed today for the January 2nd trial. There's his discovery calendar. Uh, when he wants to produce things. And in that list of things he's going to produce includes, but is not limited to something called a 2703D order. And he's got plural there, 2703D orders. 2703 allows the Department of Justice to get a search warrant from a third-party communications or digital provider like Twitter, Facebook, Gmail, uh, without alerting the person to the fact that you're getting that. And in they use the word communications, so it could be probably both those DMs, but also who was logged in and and uh, where whose phone was it? Wh- who where what was he in the dining room when this right. tweet was did it go out from the dining room? Was anybody else in the dining room? Can anyone corroborate he was alone in the dining room at that moment? Right. 
We know he tweeted that. And for Jack Smith to know that the defendant tweeted that it wasn't just tweeted from the defendant's account means mm-hmm. that he probably got some of that very uh, some of that corroborating information from from his Twitter account. Fascinating. One final thing on this. It, it, it seems like the fact that they made it a non-disclosure on the warrant so Trump couldn't be told and no one could find out. And Elon bent over backwards to keep from complying. And now he's being fined three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Elon Musk probably knows how cooked Trump's goose is. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, unless it's just total and total incompetence. Um, yeah, you're right. Always a possibility. When they first sent that uh, search warrant over there, nobody was manning the emails anymore because he had fired everybody. Um, but yeah, he, he does right. know a great deal. There are so many people who do that aren't going to be cooperative in this investigation. Uh, we saw a lot of that in the Mueller probe. Uh, with Manafort blowing up his plea agreement and Flynn That's blowing right. up his guilty plea. So it, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, there's also going to be terabytes of grand jury information that we oh, as yes. Americans will not be able to see for 40 years unless, you know, somebody gets a FOIA request in front of a SCOTUS that agrees that it's in the public interest. We'll see. Oh we didn't God. see the we didn't see the Archibald Cox stuff until a couple of years before Mueller was appointed from we Watergate. Will get- pictures of the aliens and their pap smear results before we get the information on Trump. I I, I, I have a couple more legal questions, Allison, because I save up my dumb questions until we get you on the show and then I can just unleash my torrent of ignorance on you. Trump wants permission to review. Let's move over to the other felony, the, the documents he stole. He wants permission to review the documents he's accused of illegally hoarding at Mar-a-Lago. He, he wants to be able to see the stuff he stole and had so we can look at it. Um, this is just another delay tactic, right? I mean, that's all it is, correct? He probably didn't even have that idea. It's probably his lawyer's idea to slow down the process because the only hope is to say it's a free speech issue and that'll fool people on Fox uh, to say that he didn't he, he really believed it because he's delusional and then become president and pardon yourself. Right. Well, his his last best hope, but which is right now his biggest defense that I hear over and over again, is to go to SCOTUS on appeal. I think his lawyers know he's going to be convicted for January 6th to go to his lawyers on appeal and say that the uh, Electoral Count Act is ambiguous and vague. And that's why the January 6th committee had to make recommendations to update it because it's so terrible. No one could possibly understand it. Um, but with this skiff thing, uh, I don't think he wants to have the documents there. I think he just wants to be able to discuss them uh, in in some in a skiff in 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 Mar-a-Lago. But yeah, it's a delay tactic. Uh, everything that they do is his co-conspirator Waltin uh, Nada took forever to get a local council, and this morning <clears throat> Delaveras was supposed to be arraigned, and he didn't right. have for the second time now his his local council sorted out. And that could be a combination of nobody wants to touch these people with a 10 foot pole because everybody who represents anyone near Trump ends up being disbarred or sanctioned, um, you know, or or they belong to a law firm and the law firm won't doesn't want that, you know, as part of their history. So it's going to be interesting to see it's they're going to do everything they can under the sun to delay all of this so that the judges are around next year moving months and trials around like. Like, remember those little puzzles that you had to slide the squares around to to get the numbers in order? That's what it's going to be like. 
to me, there's so many different trials, so many different crimes, so many different schemes, and they're all so connected and interlocking and weird. It's like trying to follow all the Marvel and Star Wars shows on Disney+. Plus. Everything is linked, but you got to put it in the right order, and it's just too much for one person to, to take in. Can I, can I ask about the fourth indictment? Because we haven't talked about Fonnie Willis yet, but she's expected to be seeking... Over a dozen indictments, sources told CNN this week. She's been eyeing a multi-state case involving conspiracy and racketeering charges. They think they're going to see charges in Georgia as early as next week. The grand jury she's in panel has heard over 75 witnesses, and they'll be voting on criminal charges, they think, by the end of the month. But it seems that Trump and his lawyers both know a fourth indictment's coming. And this one has, Lordy, there are tapes. Tapes we haven't heard yet and tapes we have of him doing the exact shit he's accused of. Yeah. And not only Lordy, there are tapes. Lordy, there are no pardons. Um, Correct. For RICO statutes, there's a five-year Mando minimum sentence in prison. If he's convicted, he will have to serve that five years because not even the governor of Georgia can pardon anyone. They have a pardon board. And you can't apply for a pardon until you've served at least five years of your sentence. So if he's convicted in Georgia, he goes to prison for five years and he can't pardon himself, nor can any other Republican president, nor can the governor until those five years are done. Then he can apply to the pardon board in Georgia and ask for a reprieve. Unless, of course, Georgia and their legislature and their governor change these rules, change these laws, pass a new law just for the sole purpose of letting him off the hook. I never would put anything past a Republican. But yeah, at least 12 indictments as early as Tuesday. But I think it's going to be later than that because they still have four witnesses on 48 hour notices that they have to come in. Um, And I'm assuming they can bring them all in in one or two days. so that maybe this week, uh, my my prediction has and been has been and is seventeen indictments uh, in Ooh, this. Oh, say it slower. Say it slower. Mm. Seventeen. Oh yeah. Nice. Uh, no, I know it's it's, it's prime too much. Number. <laughs> it's too much to hope that Lindsey Graham will be one of these indictments because Lindsey was just being petulant and obnoxious. He doesn't actually live in Georgia, uh, but he made the call. But I mean, they're playing that Trump tape over and over again with Raffensperger and Trump is threatening him. Trump is talking about how bad it's going to be for you because you've committed the real crime here if you don't make me win and find the votes I need. I mean, it's there in black and white. This might be my favorite of all the trials. I don't know. It's hard to pick. It's like picking your favorite child, I guess, or your favorite beetle. I can't pick just one. Well, and that's it, too, right? We've been gaslit for so long. And because justice takes so long and the DOJ uh, doesn't generally speak and the DAs generally don't speak about their cases because they can't, because it takes it it could rob the criminal defendant of their rights and taint future juries. That leaves this void, a vacuum for disinformation and spin and people coming in saying it'll never happen. They're not even investigating. There'll never be indictments, justice delayed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And, you know, for two years, I've said it'll happen. It'll happen after April of 2023. That would probably be the soonest. And if it did, if it happened in April of 2023, that'd be fast. And so now we're here. We're getting all these indictments. And these indictments are like sapphire bullets that destroy gaslighting. You can no longer tell us that justice and accountability aren't coming. 
They always have been, and now they're here, and there's no fucking fatigue about it, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> Ms. Gill, I have one last question, and it's something I read on, on your Twitter, actually. Thank you for being on Twitter, uh, for still being there. I, I do dead name it and call it Twitter. I don't care. I'll, I'll dead name it all day. Um, conservative originalist law professors Will Bowd and Michael Stokes Paulson have a new paper out arguing that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment disqualifies Donald Trump from holding public office and that the case is not even close. I had heard about this and then I saw you were retweeting it and I really wanted to ask your thoughts on it. Yeah, it's a 126 page paper. Uh, I've skimmed it and I've thoroughly read like the first third of it. Um, I am really trying to parse how that gets applied constitutionally. Uh, mm-hmm. For example, we we long were wondering during the January 6th committee hearings why they don't use their inherent contempt and throw him in that jail down under the thing. It's because yeah. there wasn't a, a resolution passed to sort of make that happen, like to to talk about how it's going to be done. Right. Uh, yes. Ted Lieu had a resolution ready to go, but they 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 went with criminal contempt referrals to the Department of Justice instead, and they were able to nab Pete Navarro and Bannon. So you need some sort of a practical, applicable way to enforce Section Three of the Fourteenth Amendment, and I'm I'm that's why I'm thoroughly reading this piece uh, to to sort of digest how they see that going down, because my understanding is that constitutionally, and this Supreme Court has said on many occasions that the states run their own elections, which means the state's board of elections, secretaries of state in each individual state would have to hold hearings or file civil action to to apply or invoke Section 3 of the 14th Amendment to prevent him from being on the ballot. We saw them try it with Marjorie Taylor Greene. We saw them try it with Madison Cawthorn. Um, It's a difficult process. I don't see why uh, certain states couldn't make that happen and have the hearing and have the the civil trial and remove see, him I, from the ballot in that state. But and he's and I just think, I know, but I mean, wouldn't that be worse? Wouldn't that give credence to all the Nazis who are saying that he's being silenced? He's the candidate we want and the deep state is, I mean, it would validate the paranoia of the worst people in our country. And it would deprive me the chance of seeing him lose the popular vote for a third time, Allison. That's what I'm here for. I want to see him lose that popular vote. Only he well, can achieve it. Yeah, it's it's always been my position that uh, it is the voters job to vote. Uh, too many people, I think, were reliant upon Mueller to save our democracy on his own. Yep. Too many people then were reliant upon uh, Garland or Smith to save our democracy alone. And uh, as Rachel Maddow said, there's no magic bullet here. There's hundreds of different guardrails that protect this democracy. And the voters are one of the biggest ones. And we still have whether he's convicted, jailed, sentenced acquitted, whatever it is, we still have to do our jobs and make sure that he it's up to us that make to make sure that he is nowhere near the Oval Office again, because being a convicted felon and being in prison doesn't uh, preclude you from running for president. Allison Gill, it is always a, a real pleasure to have you on the show. You are such a great broadcaster and communicator. What is the best way for our evil army of miscreants uh, to follow you and keep up with all your doings? Uh, everywhere on social media at Mueller, she wrote M-U-E-L-L-E-R, Mueller, she wrote. Um, and you can check out our, our network podcast at mswmedia.com. All, our, all of our podcasts are on there. You can see our really great, um, wide, uh, diverse array of independent 
um, amazing podcast and, and content creators. And I encourage everybody to check it out, mswmedia.com. Alison Gill, thank you so much for classing up the airwaves and for joining us tonight. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thanks for letting me drop some F-bombs, John. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, that's what we're here for. It's the house that Stern built. 